Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. Is we're not going to neglect the fact that worship is, there is something about music in worship. And so we don't want to get past that. But let me just start by reading Psalms 150. And I realize if you're, if this is one of your pet peeves, I do realize I just put an S on the end of the psalm. Whatever. It'd be all right. <laughs> and if it's not, I apologize. If it's not all right, I apologize. <laughs> all right. Uh, so Psalm 150. I was very cognizant that time. And it just, the writer of the psalm, it's the last book of the book of Psalm. And this is what it says. Praise the Lord God and praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. But everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In those short amount of verses, we hear that writer talk about a couple of things. He talks about the reason why, and he also talks about ways that we can worship. But it's not all the ways that we can worship. So with that in our minds and in our hearts, let's pray. God, you have gathered us. And God, when we depart from here, you will scatter us. Where we go, may we praise you. And while we're here, may we praise you. And all that we do, will we be reminded that we praise you. We love you, God. In your name, amen. Now, Reed, don't let Amelia be a bad influence on you. Okay, bud? Uh, Reed Joshua. I didn't say his whole name. My bad. He may not know who I was talking to. All right. So, so this morning, what we do want to talk about is this form of music and this form of and we don't want to negate that fact because one thing I do want to really drill into us over the weeks that we will worship together and that we will talk through this together is the fact that worship is not just music. And the reason for that is probably obvious to you guys have become synonymous a lot of times. To me is that that word and music have become synonymous a lot of times in the church. I think we all could agree with that. Um, even if for you, you're not quite where I'm at, you could probably, you could probably still acknowledge those two words are synonymous. If someone goes to a new church, they're telling you about it. Your response may be, Oh, how's their worship? And what do you really mean? How's their music? Did they do it good? Right? Did it sound good? Is this enjoyable? Do you like that? And and so music is absolutely a part of worship is the first thing that drew me to church. It It certainly wasn't this part, Right? You can look back at all the kids, and none of them were paying attention to me. It was not this part. If there was any part that I was engaging in, it was the music. And I was blessed to grow up in a church that I enjoyed the music. And I know that's not everybody's response all the time. I know friends of mine who they just went because their mom drug them to church. They didn't like any part of it. I did enjoy the music at the church that I grew up in. And so that was a blessing for me. Um, because I am a musical guy. I, like, I love music. Uh, and 
many times throughout Scripture when we read about that, we read about it being this thing of music being incorporated. Okay? So I just want to start there because I don't want anyone to leave here today thinking that there is anything at all wrong with music. Um, music drives us. Music elicits emotions in us. Uh, I remember riding with Michael and James. We were riding out to Simpsonville to lay sod in this guy's yard. And I, was, I just had my iPod on shuffle. And this song came up that I hadn't heard since I was in high school. Or probably, well, probably in high school. So easily at that point, 22, 23, 24 years, just a couple years ago. And I made the comment to James, or to the car. I was like, man, I hadn't heard a song since high school, but I knew every break in the music. I knew every, I mean, it's still like, cause, and James made the comment to me, because music's powerful, you know? That's why I pay attention to what I'm listening to, especially around my kids and whatever, and this is still James talking, because it is so powerful, because it can elicit, I mean, I can hear a song, and it elicits emotion from me in some way. There's a song that's called Elephant. It was written by a guy named Jason Isbell. And, like, I can't listen to it around people. Like, it'll make me, like, tear up. I don't like to tear up around people, so I just don't listen to it around people. It has, it's not a Christian song at all. It's just a, a beautiful uh, song, and it, it elicits some music does that to us. It's a powerful thing. Some people, I mean, I have friends who love the... Um, Star Wars soundtrack. They was listen to that, and I never really got into that kind of stuff. But I mean, they they talk to me, they're, they're passionate about it. But music for every one of us, we could probably name whatever our favorite song was, or some song listen some sort of emotion from us, and it would be different for all of us. But it's true, and so we have to acknowledge that and not leave that out, because even now we can sing songs that you may remember from some sort of spiritual experience in your past that for you is that like really, man, it's that powerful kind of thing. And so it's an, it's important for the church to a acknowledge that, but also b acknowledge that what is powerful and true for one person may not be for everybody. God may have done something in you during that time. And so what I would like us to just kind of acknowledge up front is that while you may be like me and really love music, music is emotional and it doesn't have to be religious to be emotional. And so sometimes we got to be careful and make sure that we're not taking our emotions and the goosebumps that we get from a song or the emotional spot and replace that with the Holy Spirit. Right? Because I can tell you songs that elicit the exact same emotion that a, there's a, there's another song that a, a friend of mine wrote, um, and it's called "Do Not Remember." <laughs> but a friend of mine named Davy, he was the lead singer of this kind of Christian rock band named Bleach, and he wrote this song, and I cannot remember the name of it. And but every time I hear it, it's this great worship song. And every time I hear it, like it elicits the same response from me. And it's this song talking about, um, there's this one line in there that says, I will dance even if I'm the only one. I will sing at the top of my lungs. I will dance even if I'm not the only one. That's the kind of one of the lyrics in it. But it's this whole song about talking about how amazing and great God is. 
and then moves to this is my response because of how great God is. And I hear that and I get goosebumps. I'm talking about it now and I have goosebumps because I'm thinking about it. It's great. It's the same response I get when I hear this song, Elephant, which is about a friend with cancer who's dying. And there's this elephant in the room that nobody's wanting to talk about. It's this beautiful song. But it also gives me goosebumps. And one is furthest from Scripture, but it's true to life. And the other one is absolutely about God. And we have to acknowledge that we can get the same response because God gave us music. It can do that. And we can't replace the emotion we get with that from the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit gives us emotion. So let me, I just wanted to lay that groundwork because here's where we're going to go. We're going we're gonna to talk through very briefly about the places in Scripture where God allowed us to worship Him. And He gave us forms for that. But before that, let me ask you guys this. Let me ask the ladies this. Ladies in a relationship. What can the other person do to show you that they love you? And you can just answer out. What can the other person do to show you that they love you? In any relationship. It doesn't have to be. Uh, it could be a relationship with a friend. Just in general. What do they have to do to show you they love you? Any takers? That, that was not a lady. <laughs> Ladies. What's that? Spend time together. Okay. There's, that's, that's one. What else? Listen to them when they're talking. Okay. What up? What's that, Mary? There's so many things. Yeah, give me one. Well, all right. Al helping me in everyday things. Helping you do stuff throughout your day. Okay. Okay. Even when you're in a bad mood, being not not like getting mad and walking away, but actually staying there. Okay, good. Natalie, what can I do to show you that I love you? Huh? Do the dishes. Okay. That's good to know that because I do the dishes every night. So every night she gets to know that I love her in that way. That's my, it's really my way of getting out of bath time. I don't know how she hasn't figured this out yet, but I'm just kidding. I've always done dishes even before we had kids. But. Any, anybody else? Okay. Physical touch. Physical touch. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Now guys, let me ask you the same question. What can, what can a person do to show you that they love you? I mean, because it's guys and girls. I mean, we want to we want to make sure that it's not just a female female relationship. I deeply love friends of mine, and they show me that by listening to me when I rant, when I need to rant, you know, get stuff off my chest. So that's mine. What? what tell me, guys. What, you you can think about an intimate relationship or a friendship relationship, but how does someone show they love you? Laugh at my jokes. Laugh at your jokes. Show me appreciation for hard work. Show you appreciation for hard work. I think a lot of guys have that kind of ingrained in them a little bit. Deal with your crazy, okay. So I think the one thing that we can get from that is that we all receive love in different ways. And we all give love in different ways. We're not going to go through the love language book this morning. There was a great book that was written some years ago about love language. And it was just that. It was, 
everybody kind of gives love in different ways and they receive love in different ways. And it's probably good for you and your partner or your friends or whoever it is that you're struggling with or may not be struggling with to know like this is how this person show me love, even though it's not at all how I'm receiving it. But also be important for that person to understand like this person needs to hear this to receive love. And it's not at all how I tend to give it. So it's like a two-way battle. So let me just hypothetically give you a scenario. What if I, growing up, had been taught, trained, and um, kind of ingrained in me my whole life that to show love, that the only way to show love was to pat someone on the, like kind of give them a gentle stroke of affection of their hair and kiss them on the cheek. It's a sweet gesture, right? But what if I tell my whole life, that's, that's, that's what it is to show love, to kind of gently kind of stroke their hair and give them a kiss on the cheek. And then I meet a young lady in Charleston, South Carolina in 2006, and we go out on some dates, and I begin to fall in love. And she comes home one day from school after a hard day and is just kind of telling me about this hard day. And I gently stroke her hair and kiss her on the cheek. That may be what she needs in that moment. may not be. But then one day she's struggling sometime down the road. She's struggling with the kids. And they're all going crazy. Which is generally what happens in my house. And she's doing 15 different things. And I got nothing going on. And I'm sitting on my see but i see that she's struggling and i want her to know that i love her so i get up and i go over to her and i gently stroke her hair and kiss her on the cheek and i go back and sit in my recliner and watch what i did i just showed her that i loved her right often everybody knows this and we could go through this whole scenario i can give you all these different examples and this was my response. It's not all at what she, she needs, desires, or wants in that moment. But we have done that in a lot of ways in the church. We got ingrained in us when we were real young. That singing songs was the way we worship God, the way that we show God we love Him. Or maybe for you it wasn't singing songs. Maybe it was reading Scripture. Maybe it praying. And that's the one thing that we always do to show God this is... I love you. Like, what are you talking about? I'm singing these songs. I'm getting together every week. And for God, it's the same way. Like, it's different responses all the time. In fact, if we look through the Old Testament, the words that we'll pull in that show, that talk about worship, um, they all like have a literal translation meaning something different than music. Not all of them. Some of them do have music. Some of them, like what we read in Psalms 150, there absolutely was scripture that talked about hitting cymbals and there being music. Um, there being song. But some of the things that we pull in for worship actually talk about just sitting quietly before God. Some of the ways that it talks about in the Old Testament of worshiping God had, had to do with helping out the widows and the orphans, right? So we're, gonna, we're actually going to look, look through some of that because what we want to do is as we talk about worship, we want to, A, first know that music is great. I love music. And we don't want to negate that. We also do not want that to become the stroke on the hair and the kiss on the cheek and have it take place of God. So let's look at some scriptures. 
Isaiah. Uh, and we're going to start on the negative side of this, but we're going we're to redeem this at the end, okay? So Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1. And if you're flipping, I'm flipping too, so we'll, maybe we'll get there about the same time. Isaiah 1. And I want to read verse 1, uh, excuse me, verse 11 through 17. This is the word of God coming through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. And this is what said, the multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? God is talking to these people who are in this kind of stagnant time and they're offering all this stuff to God. And God said, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings of the rams, of the fat of fattened animals, and I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked you of this? This trampling of my court. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. Who, by the way, who set those up? God. So it wasn't that they were doing something that God told them not to do. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon's feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. You never thought you'd hear God talk like that, did you? They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God is talking to his prophet, to these people who are doing it. all the festivals, all the worship experiences that God asked them to do. You could go back in the first five books of the, of the Bible and read where God instituted each of these things and told them to do them. And here they are being obedient to him. But what does it tell us about this group of people? What it tells me, I don't know what it tells you, but what it tells me is they had figured out ways to do this without their hearts. I'm just going to do it, James. I used your word from this morning. <laughs> their, with their heart posture was different. Then what God had asked him to do, you figure out a way to celebrate me while not at all serving your fellow man. So here's what I want you to do. Lay that aside. Go make yourself clean. Go do justice. Be righteous. Seek to help the widow and the oppressed, the fatherless. Let's flip over. Let's stay in Isaiah for one second. Flip over to Isaiah 29. And then I'm going to read again in Matthew um, 15. They both say the same thing. One is the prophet, God speaking through the prophet. And the other is Jesus basically using the prophetic words that Isaiah spoke and putting them into the lives of the Pharisees. So Isaiah 29, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. 
but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Jesus in Matthew 15, 9 does something really similar in talking about the Pharisees. And he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah warns me. Uh, well, let's go back and see what the... Let me just read the first part of Matthew 15. Then the Pharisees, teacher of the law, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And then Jesus replied, And why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you, being one declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, then they are not to, to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teaching are merely human rules. They came to him and said, you know, why do your folks not wash your hands? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a place where you're not washing your heart. If someone comes to you and it says, honor your father and mother, and you have a way to do that, but you're not going to do it because you're scared or you want to follow these human traditions and you do that instead of honoring the word of God, you've done the exact same thing. And he takes these words of Isaiah and places it on them. I was at the hospital this week visiting Naaman. And I was sitting there talking to Naaman and he just went on and on and he was tired. So he, I was, he didn't have medicine. I've been with people who've had medicine and they're just pumped up for talking and talking. He just had his eyes closed most of the time, but he's talking, he's telling me these stories. And I'm, I'm telling you this because this is almost a picture of the exact opposite of what Jesus was talking about. Now, some of you guys know, and I'm, I'm doing a podcast, so I'm not going to go into any gory details, but some of you guys know Naaman's past and present struggles. If you don't, I'd be happy to share that just as a way of praying for him. But even with that, Naaman was telling me about his experiences with God. And, and let me just tell you about the mind frame that I went to the hospital. It had been... This month, and our business had been kind of a struggle. God had continued to be faithful, but there was, <laughs> it would all come at one time. And then the rest of the time, I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, wondering if the next time is going to come. And I, this is the place that I walk into the hospital because it had just been like a slow last four or five days at this point. And I'm wondering, okay, is this it? Is the end draweth nigh? <laughs> you know, and uh, I just kind of go in there with this on my brain, on my heart. Uh, Natalie was telling me, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you just have to repent of your unbelief in certain times. And I just had to do that. I was like, God, I'm sorry that I don't believe. I'm struggling to believe. Help me to believe. Because um, I am in myself trying to tell myself all these stories of God's faithfulness. Natalie's doing the same thing. It's like, I know this cognitively, but I can't turn. And you may have experienced that in your life. Um, I, I read a, a little article. As a side note, I read an article yesterday about how your bones, they've kind of figured out there may be a hormone that your bones can secrete that causes anxiety and fear. So if you want to get rid of that, just get rid of all your bones, you'll be good. But um, so this is what I walk into the hospital with. And I sit down, but I obviously 
I mean, what I'm struggling with has nothing compared to Naaman. Uh, Naaman lives in the basement at Tom's place. Uh, he was in the hospital the first time because he has no windows in his apartment. And he smoked it out, <laughs> cooking something, cooking salmon patties, he told me. And and uh, it caused some breathing problems, so that's why he went and the first time. And then he had a pain, and he goes back, and they figure out it's his blood clot. So here, here I'm sitting there talking with this guy who in his right arm, he's got a couple of wounds with some stitches in them, and he's not sure if he's going to lose most of his hand. And I'm going in there with what I'm going in there with. And Naaman just starts to talk about how good God has been in his life. In fact, he made a comment at one point that kind of cut through me. And he's like, he was telling me about this moment where he goes to this church and he felt like God was telling him to go down front to be prayed for. And he said, so I went, but he said, they were talking in tongues. And he said, I didn't know anything to do with that. And so I left. And he said, as I left, I heard God tell me, and I don't remember the scripture. He could probably quote it for you. He did quote it for me about uh, little children not understanding. And when he said it, I knew it wasn't just made up. Like I knew the scripture was just falling out of my head at this point. And that you got to come as a little child without understanding, just trusting. And he said, I heard that. And so I, I went back and he said, it gave me peace. Um, and he just starts to cry because he was like, that was like one of my favorite. And then he said that, this, if you know Naaman's life, contrasted with mine and what I go in there with, Naaman said, I've had a really good life. But that was one of my favorite things. And I was like, what in the world is wrong with you, Friar? How can you? And so as we're standing there and he's telling me this stuff, then he, then he starts talking about dying one day. And being before Jesus, because he said, I just want to know Jesus. He just kept telling me, it's like, I just want to know Jesus. And because that's how he made that transition. He said, from that moment on, like, I really just want to know Jesus. And if you ever talk to Naaman, like, Naaman can quote scripture like nobody's business. He's just going with it, right? He's like, I just want to know Jesus. Sometimes he's not always in his right mind. And so, got to filter that out. But he's like, I just want to know Jesus. And as he's telling me this, he just starts crying. And he's like, I'm sorry I haven't been like this the whole time until now. And he just starts crying. I was like, man, you're about to lose half your hand, name, and you don't have to apologize for crying, bud. And uh, and he's like, when I get to heaven, I just want to, and I get to see Jesus, I'm just going to sit there at his feet. And and I I wrote it down, like I typed in my phone right then, because I'm not going to remember it. But he, he said to me, he said, I'll stay there as long as I can. Or no, he said, I'll stay there as long as I can if, if, if he'll let me. It's like, I just want to be. And I, I just like, I was like, man, that is, that is worship. That is a picture of worship. That's not the Pharisees. Cause the Pharisees may look at a person and say, well, because they have this negative behavior in their life that causes some other external factors that they're not worthy of God. But then we got God looking at the Pharisees saying, no, you're absolutely got it backwards. My friend. You guys can't even worship me. You barely worship me with your lips. Your hearts are far from me. But yet I can take this person who's broken and have their heart postured towards me. And that is like true worship of God. And I saw this picture as he was talking to me of this person whose heart was tuned to God. Now, every action may not come out the way that I would orchestrate if I was writing this movie. 
And that would be true for, for Naaman. It wouldn't, every action that he has would not line up. But how can you, like, where's the flaw in the person that just wants to know God? And I think that's what God, I mean, I was convicted. I felt like God was telling me, like, that's what I want from you. And I'll just be bluntly honest. Like, when I sit there and think about like that, I'm like, that's all heaven is? <laughs> Come on, man. Give me some action. Let's do something. And for Naaman, he's like, that's all I want to do. I'll stay there as long as I can if he'll let me. And I can't imagine a scenario where God says, shoo, I don't want you doing that anymore. In fact, we read the scripture last week in Revelation 4 where it said that's all the elders did was before God all the time saying this. Let me read another scripture from Malachi. And just fair warning, this is... Um, or as the pastor, I grew up with a pastor, he said, flip over to the book written by the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, but Malachi, th- uh, Malachi 1, this is the prophet speaking to Israel, and it's going to be verses 6 through 14. The son, did you know him? Was he in your family? <laughs> prophet Malachi? Okay. Son, uh, Honors his Malachi Fracovieri. Is that his name? Okay. Uh, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me, says the Lord God Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled your name? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Trying to offer them to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious with us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord God Almighty? I'm going to read verse 10 in just a second, but this is a picture of people trying to get by with giving not their best, right? Saying they're giving animals that do anything with anyway here, I'll anyway. It's like saying, hey, God, I got $5 I wasn't going to do anything with anyway here, I'll throw it in the bucket. What did you think of the widows, the widow who gave everything? Jesus said, all these people, they gave from their excess, and this lady gave from her need. And God is kind of talking to people like this. And so in verse 10, this was God's response to them doing that. Oh, that one of you would shut the doors of the temple so that none of you would light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. Can you imagine God looking at our worship of him and saying, oh, that one of you would just shut the doors of the church so nobody can come in and worship because it's not the best. It's not what I'm not be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to stop there. I know I said I was going to read to 14. I'm just going to stop there. God is looking at this group of people, this worshiping community that's doing all this stuff, and he's saying, 
the same thing that all the other scriptures, your heart is not postured in the right way. And I just wish somebody would shut the doors of the church. But then God confirms, like, I'm going to be great among the nations. Almost as if to say it's got nothing to do with you. How much I am going to be known and renowned among all the nations. Because God just said, I wish they just shut the doors of your church. But I am going to be known. And then a pretty famous scripture in Amos 5. And this is the last negative one. And then we're going to get to some redeeming, some redeeming things. But Amos 5, verse 18. That's going to take me a million years. I should have marked Amos. It's going to take me a million years to find Amos here. <laughs> All right, there we go. Praise Jesus. All right, Amos 5, verses 18 through 25 says this. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. What in the world? Like, I thought that's what we were supposed to be longing for, right? Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear. As though he entered a house and rested his hand on the wall only to have the snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate... I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. We ended that set of like kind of negative, vibing scripture where God is basically saying the same thing. Like you're not doing all this religious and worship stuff. That I ended that set by saying, here's the way, and so it's not good. He ended that set by saying, here's what I want you to do. Just like he ended that one in Isaiah. So go and be righteous and do justice. Like he's giving us the roadmap. God is, was giving the people of Israel the roadmap for, okay, here's how you change your heart. Go and be righteous and do justice. Music is a part of that. But God is not concerned or impressed with the form of it. Remember David. God had just delivered into this, into the hands, this great battle. And now, after all this time, they're about to bring up the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle that David had set up. Remember? And like, it's not to say that God doesn't, that God just wants bad things, right? Like, God even said, hey, you're not bringing me your fattest calf. You're the prime of your crop. You're bringing me disease stuff. If you look at how God set up the tabernacle, it wasn't like God said, go and get Cubert zirconium and gold-plated stuff. Like he said, go and like it was nice. And so this is an argument to say that we should just do things haphazardly because it's more about the condition of our heart. God said, do do it to the best of your ability. 
That ability is different for every person and in every way. So it does have more to do with the heart. But that doesn't mean if you have a tuner, you don't tune your guitar, right? So there's this story. Oh, let me finish that thought. David, as he's bringing his ark up, what does David do? And he's dancing before the ark of the Lord, right? So much that part of his body is revealed in a way that was maybe not quite appropriate in all scenarios. And so David's wife was embarrassed and said, what are you doing? You know, why are you acting like this? But David wasn't paying regard for that. Like David was just worshiping God. Well, there's another, the form of it, the beauty of it. David probably was not a uh, Juilliard trained dancer. He obviously didn't have a good tailor because his clothes were coming up. Right? He's just doing what his heart was was coming out of him. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 5, there's a story of the same Ark of the Covenant, but now it's coming into the temple. So Solomon has built the temple and God's instruction. And it was a beautiful temple. And now the Ark of the Covenant is coming into the temple. And there's this amazing celebration. And so I'm just going to read the first 14 verses of Second Chronicles 5. When the work that Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, all the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of the temple. And then Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribe, the chief of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together to the king at that time of the festival in the seventh month. And when all the elders of Israel have arrived, the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The Levitical priests carried them up. The king of the king Solomon oh, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about them were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle they could not be recorded or counted. The priest then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their eye, the holy, extended from the Ark, could be seen in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place. And they are still there today. This is the prophet speaking. They're not still there today, today, okay? There was nothing in the ark except two tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with Israel after they came out of Egypt. And then the priests withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their division. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedutham, and their sons and relatives, they stood on the east side altar dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. Can you imagine this scene? They've been waiting for this moment. Now this temple is being consecrated. These people are coming out. 120 priests sounding trumpets, trumpeteers, musicians joining you and giving praise and thanks to the Lord that there's this unbelievable assembly with all this. I mean, I don't know how many people are in a marching band, but I've been to some like marching band things where all the horns are just going. It's this loud thing and 
Like this thing's kind of happening. Trumpeters, musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by the trumpet, cymbals, and other instruments, the singles raised their voices to the Lord and sang, He is good and His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. There's this picture of these people whose hearts are all tuned to God. There's a celebration that God has now been faithful and has accomplished what he promised they would accomplish. And there's a celebration and the glory of God just fills it. So much so that the priests couldn't even do their job, right? That they came into the church that day to preach, to lead the people in worship, whatever it was, and they couldn't even do it because the glory of God, the fog just kind of filled it. There's this beautiful picture of what happens. Yes. We may see it one day in a physical sense. I don't know. I'm not, I can't. But there's also this kind of idea that in a spiritual sense that when we come that God just kind of fills this. This is a beautiful picture of worship. And then we'll just kind of end at Revelation 5. Starting in verse 11. This again is the vision of John. Of what it would be like on that day. Well, not that day. We always say that like it's eternity. But I guess the day that we first see it, we kind of get to take, take it in. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 ten ten times 10,000. That's a lot. I don't know the mathematical number. It's a lot. And they encircled the throne. And the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worships fell down in worship because in that moment and hopefully in many moments before they realized that God was worthy of everything they had they ascribed worth to God in whatever way they could and as a church as a people of God when we worship we want to do it as best as we can we don't want to leave music out we also don't want to worship music we want to be people who can ascribe to God all that he's worth. Because like those stories we heard last week, God is continually faithful. Even when it doesn't look like God is faithful, God is faithful. I could have very easily sat in that hospital room this week with Naaman. And he said that and say, hang on, Naaman. You just said that you had a really good life. Let me lay out a bunch of stuff that you just told me. I mean, some of you just told me. And I would have heard that and said, no, that's not a good life, Naaman. But it was like, that's right. <laughs> I have a copycat in my house, if you don't know. And said, no, it's not a good life. 
but it had nothing to do with the physical things that happened. It had to do with where his heart was kind of tuned to. And many times, if I'm being honest, my heart is kind of tuned to all the physical outworkings that I want to see or that I'm not seeing. Instead of just like embracing God and saying, thank you so much for who you are and what you have done. Even if you don't do anything more, it's more than I deserved. And I'm like the kid who, at the end of Christmas and all the presents are open, is like, where's, I don't get any more? Like, that's me most of the time. You know that kid you just want to ring by his neck? What are you talking about, you scholars? I think God wants to ring me by my neck most of the time. What are you talking about? You're praying for more stuff? Like, a, But he's the good dad who will never quit being faithful and will never quit. And so my prayer and for myself and my prayer for us is that for us, worship has more to do with the fact that God has already done everything that we could ever ask for. And to find that to be worth giving all that we have to it. I want to be the person like the Levites in that story in Chronicles or like all the other living creatures in Revelation that's just praising God for who he is. Honor, glory, power, praise. All everything is to you because of who you are and not be like the Pharisees who say, I'm going to do everything you ask me to do, but I'm not going to have a good attitude about it. I'm going to go clean my room, but you're going to know I'm ticked off the whole time I'm doing it, right? I'm going to do what you ask me to do, God. But it ain't going to be the way that... Rather than being the person who said, God, you give me everything that I could ever desire. You bless me beyond measure. And for that, I give you everything. That is kind of the heart of worship. We, we came into this little time singing about, God, would you bring me back to a heart of worship? Would you bring me back to a place where I understand that all that I have is only because of you? And all that I've received from you is already worthy of everything I have. It's not contingent upon if you do more. Because ultimately, we have received all that we deserve and need from God. And that's why we come to this table every week. That's why this table is set for us to be reminded that God has already done everything that we need. When we, one day when we close our eyes and we never breathe another breath and we enter into eternity, we will have everything that we need. All that was important to us was gone. And now there's only one thing that's important. And that thing that's important is did God really look at his son or really look at me and see his son in my place? That one thing that's going to bridge that gap because that is worth it all. So with that, we're going to worship God with some more songs today. And we're going to partake in communion and hopefully we can leave here singing songs. If that's how God moves you to worship God moves you to worship by serving somebody, which is that piece of giving justice and mercy to someone. God moves us to worship by just being still before him so he can speak to us, whatever that is. Uh, Could that just kind of wrap up all of our days? Let's pray.
We don't even have the right words to say. Other than thank you for what you've done. God, when that isn't seemingly in our brains worth and worth it, would you gently remind us of your goodness and faithfulness at all times? God, thank you that you've given us a community that in those moments of unbelief, we have people who will walk with us and remind us of your faithfulness and goodness. God, thank you that we have people in our community who even this week painted a better picture for me of worship than I was willing to paint for myself. God, we do love you. We thank you for the ways that you convict us as a means of moving us closer to you. God, as we come to the table this morning, would you remind us of how good you are? We love you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.